Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Dr. Ungerleiter is the founder of EndWellProject.org, a nonprofit media platform and annual convening focused on transforming the end of life into a human-centered experience. She is also a practicing internist at Crossover Health in San Francisco, a writer and a leading voice in healthcare who regularly appears as a medical contributor on CNN, MSNBC, and CBS News with bylines in Time, Scientific American, the San Francisco Chronicle, and many others. She executive produced Netflix's Oscar-nominated film, Endgame, and funded Extremis. Her most recent film, Robin's Wish, is a biographical documentary about the final years of actor and comedian Robin Williams. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ungerleiter. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and please call me Shoshana. I will. Thank you, Shoshana. Well, you have such an, an impressive background. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. You're a practicing physician, an author, a film producer, and the founder of Endwell. Um, please start off by just telling us a little bit about your background and how you became an advocate for transforming the end of life experience. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't set out to do any of this, really. Um, and uh, early on in, in medical school and even into the beginning of, of residency, as you mentioned, I, I trained in internal medicine. I wanted to be a cardiologist uh, because I love thinking about pathophysiology and the body as this really interesting puzzle. Um, and it really wasn't until... I guess my fourth year of medical school. So at the very, very end, I uh, I was walking in between patient rooms and I, I ran into, uh, physically ran into a palliative care fellow and I read his jacket and I said, palliative care, what in the world is that? Um, and uh, and he explained to me what that field was. It wasn't, it wasn't an area that I had ever encountered. Um, and, you know, in into, early years of, of residency, I guess my, my first year, um, I spent months in the intensive care unit, uh, taking care of very, very ill, um, often frail older adults who were ending up in the ICU with end stage organ failure or, or widely metastatic cancer. And um, they were spending their final moments of, of life uh, hidden away from the people that they love often uh, really in a lot of pain and uh, receiving extremely aggressive care. And for some of them, uh, that made good sense. But but for most of them, um, I found myself quite distressed uh, by the fact that, you know, many of them didn't choose that path for themselves and that nobody along their journey of cancer or, uh, or heart disease or, or whatever it was um, had had a conversation with them um, from the medical team to talk about the prognosis and what might be coming uh, in the future related to their illness. And I realized we don't really do that in medicine very well. We're not really incentivized to do that. We're not taught as physicians uh, very often um, in how to have those conversations with our patients. And everything moves so quickly within healthcare that we don't build in sort of pauses in time 
to take a big step back from from treatments and labs and procedures and say, well, you're a human being sitting sitting in front of me. Let me learn about you as a person. What makes you tick? What matters most to you in your life? And then asking the question of how can I tailor my care as your physician uh, based on you know how you want to spend your time um, going forward. And again, this idea of of what matters most to to patients. And so. Um, I got really interested in thinking about that, not only from a medical education perspective in terms of how we can train more clinicians and how to have those kinds of conversations, but then also on a societal level, because conversations about serious illness, about the end of life, about caregiving uh, roles that and things that occur in all of our lives throughout life um, just aren't talked about that much. We have a lot of kind of cultural resistance around these conversations and so I, I started thinking about that and, and how to make change. And um, really it, it kind of snowballed from there. And, and I remain a generalist. I, people assume I'm a palliative care doctor based on my interest, but I do take care of adults. And I'm really, I consider myself just a real advocate or evangelist for the field of, of palliative medicine, which includes hospice, of course. And then thinking about how do we shift you know, cultural perceptions around around serious illness and the end of life experience. It's such important work that you're doing. And, you know, I've probably been involved with palliative care and I, and I love your opinion too around that term itself, whether that's a term that's just confused um, that people use or if they really understand it. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot from it in different organizations that, I, that I've been part of as well. Um, on that note on, on palliative care, is, do you refer to it as that? Um, or when you're at conferences or with NWELL, I mean, how, how do you how do you speak about it or define that for folks? Yeah, it's a great question. I want to define it, but I first want to say that I use that term um, when it makes sense to. So it depends on who I'm talking to, right? I think we often, as, as medical providers or healthcare administrators or being in the, from the insurance world, um, we think that everybody understands clinical jargon or it makes sense to use it, uh, even if sometimes it doesn't and people don't necessarily know what we're talking about. All they want, if we're talking about patients and, and families, is good care. Whatever we're going to call it is what we're going to call it. But we, you know, explaining what, what it is that we're doing, I think, is even more important. And so, you know, palliative care, as, as you know, um, is a, is a team-based, multidisciplinary approach to medical care. Um, for patients who are facing a life-limiting illness um, and their families, and really focuses on quality of life for those people. Um, and that can be everything from dealing with symptoms related to pain or difficulty breathing to existential distress, as it, which is very common uh, related to serious illness, to psychosocial issues, to financial stress around illness, for which we know so many people have. So it really is sort of a, a wraparound holistic care um, that can be used at any time during the course of illness. Um, ideally, you know, at the time of diagnosis and years upstream um, from the end of life. And, uh, and hospice, um, for example, is a type of palliative care. They are not uh, synonymous. Hospice, of course, is, um, is care provided for patients who are reasonably within the last six months of life and generally focuses on a, a comfort-based uh, approach to care. Um, so for me, I think it is important to, to make those distinctions, um, to talk about what palliative care is for people. Um, 
but but for me and and in the work that I do uh, as a generalist, I, I often you know uh, approach it um, in different ways depending on on who I'm talking to. But uh, there's definitely a lot of confusion out there about what it is and, and what it isn't. You know, you're very unique in how you get your message out, and I think you're masterful in how you use all these different venues, applications. You know, whether it's Twitter, Clubhouse, um, the media, film you know, Endwell Project, you've got a real uh, mastery of how you get a message out and create a dialogue. So that's why I, I was just curious uh, what what it is about you that just enables you to do that. Because I think it's it's a skill you don't see that's very common. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I think that I really look at it as, you know, where can I make the biggest impact? I'm very driven by, of course, helping people and, and reaching a much larger audience uh, as it relates to, to shifting culture around um, serious illness and, and the end of life. And, and we're so lucky that social media exists, that these platforms are out there to be able to use. Uh, I, I love reflecting on right after residency, my husband had, a, had to teach me how to use Twitter. I literally made no sense to me. Uh, so started tweeting and um, it still doesn't make that much sense to me. But, uh, you know, it's as, as the years go on, I think we all have opportunities to think about reaching uh, new audiences. And that's really available to, to all of us um, through social media. So it's been really a, a powerful way, especially with Endwell, uh, to reach millions and millions of people every year. And I will say, you know, the the Netflix film projects happened somewhat by accident. I think it was a combination of being at the right place, you know, at the right time and obviously having uh, wonderful directors and producers of which I don't take much credit for. Um, but then a platform like Netflix being being willing and interested to buy content that is related to subject matter of of being seriously ill in the ICU as in extremis and um, with Endgame looking at hospice and, and palliative care in, in a hospital setting um, and, and really being able to shed light on these on these difficult stories, um, but really with the idea of, of encouraging more people to have these conversations with the people that they love. Um, so for me, it's being, I think, open to new opportunities. And I think maybe it's that I don't I'm not really scared to fail. Um, so it, it allows me to kind of get out there and do different things um, beyond just uh, the clinical care that I was trained to do. I love that because, you know, even for our listeners out there who are listening, uh, Shoshana and I were connected on LinkedIn, I think just from a, a connection standpoint, but I heard you on Clubhouse and I followed you on Twitter you followed me back and I think I pinged you on Twitter to say, hey, would you join this podcast and, and connect? So, you know, it's interesting because it does build and, and we're able to create a dialogue that way. And so I'm just so thankful that you are out there with this message. Um, the other thing I'm curious about what you founded Endwell Project in 2017. Is that right? That's so right. How has the dialogue changed from your perspective? You're doing so much in this area in terms of the dialogue around end of life? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I, and I guess I have to first preface this being a physician and of course a scientist and saying that, you know, I don't have any hard data. I'm not a, I'm not a researcher in this subject. Endwell doesn't collect any sort of rigorous scientific data. Um, so I will tell you this, this answer is mostly anecdotal. We started Endwell kind of on a whim saying, 
frankly, there isn't really a conference or convening out there that is truly multidisciplinary, uh, meaning that there's plenty of, of hospice convenings, of, of palliative care academic meetings out there, of policy conferences, um, but there isn't anything that is squarely talking about serious illness and end of life and some of these other adjacent topics um, that really pulls in the world beyond healthcare and healthcare administration and maybe policy. I, I really wanted to explicitly invite the worlds of design, um, of tech, um, of the arts and media, as well as educators and, and the legal world and, and faith leaders, as well as patients and caregivers alongside healthcare and, and policy folks to talk about, you know, what are the ways that we can work collaboratively? What are the, what are the important stories to tell um, as it relates to this conversation? How can we collectively shift culture and then come up with new solutions, right? To make this experience better for everybody on all these levels. Um, and, and so we weren't sure if anyone would show up that first year when we, when we put this out there. And much to our surprise, we had hundreds of people on a waiting list to attend a sold out event. And that was in San Francisco uh, that year. And then we, we realized we had something going and it was, it was really powerful to actually be there in the room. It's almost something you can't describe um, what it's like to, to sit with hundreds of people and, and be listening to such um, you know, intimate and, and real human subject matter um, related to this, this topic of end of life. And so we doubled in size the following year and we sold out again. And, and so we started putting out some of our content, our, our talks, our amazing speakers on stage um, on, on social media and quickly started reaching tens of millions of people each year uh, with this content. And so I guess what I would say, getting back to your question, is that um, I think that there's much more of an appetite out there than people would imagine um, to be talking about hard things such as uh, end of life. And when we can open the door for people to even just reflect on their own lives, um, to then think about the end of it, it, it can be really powerful and, and life-changing. So I, I do think that we are making strides, that there is a, a shift happening, a groundswell in, in interest around this subject. And I, th and I, I feel like the pandemic has really um, created this realization for people that our own mortality is never that far away, uh, pandemic or not, right? Tomorrow is never a given, no matter how old you are. So to be thinking about these things, even if it is hard, because it is, um, is can, can be helpful and allow us to live better every day. On that note, since you went there with the pandemic, what, what have you learned personally for yourself? What have you learned in 2020 because of the pandemic that you're applying or in 2021 and beyond? Well, I guess I can answer this from multiple perspectives. I think personally, this, this moment in time, I've been so blessed to be able to take a real pause and get to work from home, take care of patients virtually using telehealth and have those quiet moments to really ask myself where I don't have to be on an airplane or, or, or speaking or at a hotel or whatever I've been doing the last several years what do, what do I want to be doing? How do I want to be spending my time? Which parts of what I'm doing are fulfilling for me and which parts are really draining? And so it's, it's really been for me a, a wonderful 
if you can even say that about the pandemic, right? Uh, uh, a reflective time to be able to get more clarity um, about what matters most to me. So I feel so lucky to be able to say that, um, number one, that's personally. And then I would say on the professional side, as I mentioned, I, I have been providing telehealth and I see uh, the, the huge opportunity that is there for, for access across multiple specialties for more patients to be getting care um, where they want on their own time. And I think that the opportunities are really endless as it relates to improving care in this country, um, leveraging technology. So I'm, I'm excited about what's to come you know, in that realm. I think providers surprisingly also really uh, like it. So um, it, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm, I, think, I think more expanded access to telehealth is, is here to stay, at least I hope. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, that pause that you mentioned, I know it's probably true for a lot of folks. And uh, I think that is one of the silver linings maybe that comes out of the pandemic is we've been able to pause and people have had a chance to reflect a bit. You know, at the same time, we know that anxiety and behavioral mental health issues have increased over that period of time. So, um, you know, I, I, there's there's definitely pluses and minuses to all this. I do think, as you talk about with virtual care and telehealth, there's been some now opportunities that have been strengthened or opened up because of that. So it will be interesting to see as we get the vaccinations out and hope, you know, start to get to whatever the new normal looks like here, how all that applies going forward. Um, as it relates to end of life, I was going to ask you around what are the maybe the solutions or technologies that you're most excited about? that relates to end of life uh, that you're looking forward to or that you could share with our listeners and to learn more about? Well, I always like to frame this in, in saying that I think we're just at the very, very beginning here of what's possible. I, I think about the other end of the spectrum around um, when, when, new, when new life is brought into the world, right? If you think about the, the multi-billion dollar industry that is uh, supporting pregnant women and and brand new babies, um, from from bottles to you know ways to to carry your baby to help them sleep, um, to manage feeding, all all the things, um, you know the it, it limitless uh, products out there. Um, that's just direct to consumer products. And then if you think about what's available to people who are facing serious illness or who or who are around the end of their lives, there isn't much. Right when we think about it, and now there's many, many reasons for that. I think as a culture, we don't value the end of life uh, as we do the beginning. Um, but but I think that as people and this boomer generation is aging, are waking up to the fact that we need to be paying attention uh, to this time of life and and recognizing just how important it is to to think about and to innovate around. So I mean, I think that um, there are emerging technologies from lots of advanced care planning platforms so people can share their wishes about their care related to serious illness with the people that they love and then store that information safely so that the right people get it at the right time. There's companies leveraging AI, artificial intelligence to help with prognosis so that clinicians can accurately give their patients a sense of, of what the future might hold. Um, there's, there's so many avenues, applications now for payers to be able uh, to support clinicians and, and patients and caregivers um, throughout this journey. So 
I, I think that we're just at the very, very beginning of how technology can help us to transform this experience and hopefully make it a little less hard um, for everyone. Agreed. I'm excited for the future. Yeah, and you know, I, I also think in addition to all that too, um, the dialogue is changing a bit. I don't know if you've heard of Michael Hebb and Death Over Dinner. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I got invited to one of those um, sessions back in when I was uh, working in Washington State in the Seattle area, and uh, it was really interesting. And for listeners, you know, it's uh, it's it was a basically a movement around getting folks together, adults together, for a dinner where you actually talk about death and maybe somebody that um, has died and and your experience with them. So. That was something, you know, I didn't know, you know, sort of like you talked about, um, you just kind of go into it and, and try it. And uh, it was pretty amazing, you know, that type of a dialogue. And that was a good six years ago that I had that. So I think movements like that, dialogue like that, where people get more comfortable talking about palliative care or talk about end of life, I think, I, I think is so important. And I know that the work that you're doing and with the speakers that you get at Endwell Project uh, dot com. I mean, with the the annual convening, and I know some of the speakers you've had, it's pretty amazing, you know, that dialogue. So the more people that can hear that, I think it's uh, only good comes only good comes from that dialogue. Absolutely. And and Michael, who's a dear, dear friend, I should say, um, has done such an incredible job with engaging people from across the world in in dialogue with with friends, with colleagues, with family about this critical conversation because I think that uh, when when people actually consider the fact that every moment that we're living, we're also at the same time dying. Um, those things are happening at the same time, right? Um, it, it can be a really powerful reframing for yourself and and that by recognizing the fact that we are in fact mortal, that one day our life will end, I think allows us to live better every day. And, you know, I would say for myself, the recognizing my, my own mortality is really the recipe for keeping me awake, for creating that urgency to live my best life, uh, to fill it with, with meaning and purpose as much as I can. So I think, you know, there's so many ways that as a culture, you know, in the West, we, we invest in nutrition and exercise and spiritual well-being as a means to live well but I, I think a critical part of living well is also planning around ending well so is uh, this idea of, of facing our own mortality and asking ourselves what we value and cherish most in our lives i think not only informs um you know our our, our life as we're living it but also how we instruct others to care for us around the end of our lives so it's, it's really powerful and I think opens up new and different dialogue, both internally for yourself and then hopefully with the people that you love. So that's, that's the goal really of, of the work that we're doing. And um, it's been an, an interesting journey, I will say, over the last many years to get to be a part of it. What is one final thought or ask you have for people listening to this podcast? Well, aside from go and get your vaccine right away, um, <laughs> um, that, that's really, really important for living your best life. Um, I, I guess I would say, you know, if, if you haven't uh, this year, um, you know, take a moment. And this is a big part of what we did with Endwell um, this last year. And it's called Take 10. Um, and the idea is take 10 minutes 
to uh, reflect on your life and what matters most to you and what does a good day look like for you. Um, and then think about how that can inform the end of it. Um, if, if uh, you know, tomorrow again is, is not a, a given, um, it's not uh, promised. So how can we um, make sure that you know, if we're in a place where we can't speak for ourselves, um, you know, think about who you might want speaking for you, advocating on your behalf um, if you are unable and um, and talk with that person about what your wishes might be related to the end of life. And of course, there's many, many applications out there, whether it's death over dinner, um, whether it's the five wishes, which is a wonderful ethical will, um, whether it's a card game like Go Wish that encourages various dialogue around serious illness. Um, I encourage people to just have that conversation first with yourself and then with the people that you love. Love that. And now for some just some fun, rapid fire questions. It can be one word, it can be you know a few words. Um, what is one thing that you do to stay healthy? I have two words. So for me, it's it's meditation and exercise. So I do that every single day. That is awesome. By the way, I just started meditating using Headspace, and I've got my little, I think it's a sixty-seven day streak or something like that going. And I've never done it before, and it's been it's been really a neat experience. So uh, an exercise, love that. That's awesome. What is your favorite thing to do off the job? Oh gosh, probably sleep. I'm a big fan of sleep. <laughs> so as, as lame as that sounds, I think that's the one underappreciated thing that we can all do for ourselves if if possible is to optimize for good sleep. What is the most used app on your phone? Right now it's Clubhouse. Excellent. I love Clubhouse. I'm, I'm learning more and more about it. What's the favorite thing about where you live? Well, I can actually turn my head to the right here, look out my window and see the Golden Gate Bridge. Awesome. So Definitely my favorite thing. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much, Shoshana. I so appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for our listeners for taking the time to listen. And I hope you walked away just inspired and you can hear the passion that Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter brings to transform the end of life experience and grief into one that's human centered and is really part of how we can all start to uh, think about this and um, give it some give it some time ourselves to become familiar with end of life and uh, engage in that dialogue. For more information about Endwell, you can visit www.endwellproject.org and join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. We'd love to hear your feedback, share your comments, and let us know your thoughts by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also download the conversation and listen to the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue or visit our website at www.doseofdialogue.com.